This podcast is brought to you by eHarmony, the dating app to find someone you can be yourself with. Why doesn't eHarmony allow copy and paste in first messages? Because you are unique and your conversations should reflect that. eHarmony wants you to find someone who will get you. How are you going to know who gets you? If people send you the same generic conversation starters, they message everyone else. Conversations that actually help you get to know each other. Imagine that. Get who gets you on eHarmony. Sign up today. The Euros All Access podcast is proudly sponsored by Vauxhall. Before we kickstart today's episode, I just wanted to take a moment to make sure that all of our listeners are aware of the Vauxhall ELCV range. If you don't know what I'm referring to, it is the best-selling electric van range from Vauxhall, which is driving innovation in 2024 with its modern facelifted design and improved electric technology. Now, I know the transition to an electric vehicle can sometimes feel daunting, but rest assured that when you choose Vauxhall, you're in the safest of hands. The ELCV range is designed to be as accessible as a diesel van, with an electric range of up to 261 miles, and with one year's free public charging included, you will find it cheaper to run too. If you are already thinking of making the leap to an all-electric vehicle, then consider this your official sign. Go online and search Vauxhall Electric Vans today, Vauxhall's best-selling electric van range, energising a better Britain. Terms and conditions apply. Game Day, Premier League Preview Show. Season's greetings from the TalkSport Game Day Preview. Hello, I'm Sam Matterface, and this week, TalkSport prepares to bring you every single match from the festive fixture list as we unwrap our 10 games of Christmas. Tepid Tottenham look to bounce back on Boxing Day from a blue Christmas as they start things off against bruised Brighton, who have had a tricky winter. I'll be there, and I'll also be hot-footing it on some version of Santa's sleigh to get to Leicester against Liverpool at 8 o'clock, which might be the last chance anyone has to stop the Reds from winning the whole thing with tiny, tingly Christmas bells on. Uh, we've got Arteta's first game, Ancelotti's debut, and after Solskjaer slipped at the Vicarage, Brucey brings Christmas Carol to Old Trafford. Every team, every game, live across the TalkSport network, it's top of the tree and totally free. The 10 Games of Christmas previewed on TalkSport's Game Day Preview podcast. Yes, all that's missing is a partridge in a pear tree. But we do have Paul Parker, the former Manchester United fullback. Hello, Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas to you as well, Sam. And you've got a cracker with you, haven't you? Do you mean yes, me or the actual cracker? Really. No, okay. No. <laughs> I thought it was a compliment for me for a second there. <laughs> no chance of that. You don't get that. Uh, we do Tom. have uh, uh, Tom Rennie, uh, TalkSports International Editor and resident West Ham whiner as well. Why don't you two pull that cracker? Uh, and you may well get uh, three points for West Ham United, Tom. You never know. Oh, oh we that. didn't even get the satisfying Bang. pop of this cracker. No, we really didn't, didn't do that very no. well at all. No, we didn't. Is no. this your first Christmas? You can, you, can tell, you can tell the rugby boys left those for us. <laughs> they are they are <laughs> very rugby. Ones. These are money crackers here. Look at that. What the hell I've got here? That's good. You don't get this in the world of football. This is not a soccer cracker. Yeah, It's all corduroy. No, this, um, <laughs> right, OK. <laughs> Thank you very much for your company. Paul, you put your hat on. Make sure you make yourself merry. Uh, we'll get on with the first game that we're going to look at today. Leicester outfoxed by City the game before Christmas. But wait till you see what's next down there, Jimmy. And it's Firmino coming forward. Firmino here. Surely to win it. He scores! It could be a history-making goal for Liverpool. Flamenco got sent here from, from their continent or their country with a clear order to win it. 
and to come back as heroes. We got told, stay at home and play the Carabao Cup. And there's a chance to play it forward. And Vardy's in behind Fernandinho, into the box, taking on the goalkeeper. Heavy touch, but then lifted it over Edison and puts it into the back of the net. And the Foxes are flying forward again. It's a totally different type of game against Liverpool, playing a different way. And, uh, you know, but, but equally have top-class players. So, so for us, we, you know, we'll relish that opportunity to bounce back and, uh, and look to get a performance at home and, and hopefully get a good result. Leicester didn't really have their usual snap, their usual intensity against City. And when I spoke to Brendan Rodgers afterwards, gents, he, he was pretty impressed with the way that Manchester City play, but he was also really disappointed with the way his team performed. Could that help actually fire Leicester up for a big performance against Liverpool, Paul? I'm going to turn around and say, yes, that has to, because Leicester were disappointing. The game against Liverpool is a big game for them. I thought they was, in a certain way, cheated at Anfield, what happened to them with the penalty decision that went went mm. against them. When they were there, they were taking the game to Liverpool. And I think they'd be, they'd be looking to try and get themselves back in the hunt, I should say. Liverpool are relentless, though, aren't they, Tom? You, mm. you know, they've had a lot of travelling to do. I don't know whether that's going to affect their performance or not. But when you look at the actual schedule over the course of the next uh, few matches, they've got the more, more, more rest than anybody else. Jurgen Klopp is a genius, a manipulative genius of Johnsonian proportions because what he's been able to do is take his team to Qatar for 10, 12 days and they played uh, Monterey, nothing game, Certainly a tough game against Ferengo, but they've had one game in that period. They managed to skip the Carabao Cup, which they weren't interested in anyway. They managed to skip the game against West Ham, which means they had a nice big break from the league. And apart from that one game, they've been in five-star luxury. And the weather's been so bad, they couldn't go outside. So they're inside their five-star hotel, masseuse whenever they want, beautiful food. I mean, it's been a fantastic break away. It's the kind of winter break they've been moaning about for years and years wanting. This is a masterstroke, not only because of that, but also you ask a Liverpool fan, how do you feel about this break mid-season? How do you feel about throwing the Carabao Cup? They'll tell you, we had to do it. Don't worry about it. Anyone else throws a tournament, the fans are livid. Liverpool fans are seemingly delighted it's happened. And it's totally understandable, but I think Jurgen Klopp is a genius for the way he's managed to get away with this. So it's a massive thing. Paul, has, has, he, has, he, has he forgotten that they, they are world champions here, Paul? <laughs> We don't really want to mention that, but we just want to talk about the winter break. Because <laughs> I think it's great. The actual now, the thing now is win the Champions League yeah. and you get a winter break. Don't moan about it. Go out and win it. it. means go out and spend a bit of money, get your team right, win the Premier League, win the Champions League, and then you'll get nine, ten days in somewhere nice, maybe. I, I can't believe you're, you two are trying to dress up what was a victory for the Premier League, for Europe, uh, to crown Liverpool, the champions of the world, as some sort of easy winter break. I mean, first of all, it rained in Doha. Yeah. That's how bad the weather was. It, and that never happens. Uh, and it is the, you know, the, the, when they play on Boxing Day, it will be their 31st game of the season. These two sides are the best counter-attacking sides in the league. Uh, but the first game actually wasn't really like that. Leicester scored late on. Um, it was their only shot on target, actually. Uh, and Liverpool got that 90th-minute penalty thanks to a bit of VAR and James Milner converting it. They are the two best defences in the league. How do you actually see the game going? I've got a feeling it's going to be, a, I'm going to say, a draw. At the worst for Leicester, I'm going to say a draw. Because I really do think that they can go and win that game. I think... They haven't really been interested in Vardy up against Van Dyke. how Van Dyke deals with Vardy. 
Is he going to try that muscle him? The problem is, is that Vardy doesn't like being muscled by anybody. He's still got that inbred, inbred side of um, non-league football. He's hungry. He doesn't allow anyone to push him over. He won't go and throw himself to the floor. He's going to want to prove his strength. So it'd be interesting. Him can can um, Van Dyke match his pace? And now he's got a little bit more guile in his game because of Brendan Rodgers. Brendan Rodgers has definitely improved Vardy mm. as a footballer. He's improved Leicester as a team. They're a better football inside and they've got a little bit, few more strings to their bow to the team that won the Premier League. Do they need to set a trap for Jamie Vardy in the way that Man City did second half in the game at the Etihad, but not first half? First half, City tried to do their their high line. Harvey Barnes, great pass, caught them out. Jamie Vardy, great finish. Probably should have scored two in that first half. Second half, City, it was almost like watching Antonio Conte's championship winning team at Chelsea. They got the win in the first half in 2-1. And then drop deep and try to stop their main threat of attack. Do Liverpool need to do that? Will they do that? Will there be a plan for Vardy? Or do they do their usual thing? And you mean saying score late? <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, that as well. It's a great trait, that is. And they're actually, they're not just getting... You used to have it at Manchester United, if I remember rightly. Yes, they were. Yeah, we were like that. But I'll tell you what, we, what, we, we wasn't kind of dominating games or in control of games as what Liverpool are. Liverpool, the way they've done it, you think to yourself, well, yeah, you've grinded that. You, you deserve that. It isn't by luck, is it? There's there's a lot to it because they've done it no, so definitely so many times. Um, interesting that you talk about the, the way that Manchester City managed that game in the second half against Leicester because they did the same thing against Chelsea after going behind and they've done that a couple of times. Um, but Leicester, they, they disappointed because they didn't have that intensity. They mm. lost against the Manchester United earlier in the campaign. They failed to beat Chelsea when they went away there as well. These big games, Tottenham apart, they haven't really been able to punch the weight that they look like they have because they're second in the table, if that makes any sense. Sam, you were there. They let need me, a big scout. Let me ask you about that game last week because it was it was so interesting, um, the way the game unfolded. And what I thought was interesting was that Leicester, for the first time this season, and I wonder if you agree, looked overawed by the occasion of the game. They looked nervous. After 20 minutes, the game plan kind of fell apart. Maybe it was City being fantastic. Maybe it was them realising, hold on, we actually are the chief challengers to Liverpool and there was a little wobble mentally there. Did you see that? I thought they were a young side. They got a little bit thrown by the... Um, I thought Chilwell and Soyuncu played poorly in that game, to be honest with you, both of them. Soyuncu for the uh, the final goal, where he just seemed to step out of the way of Kevin De Bruyne, who went past him far too easily, was allowed to whip that ball through the six-yard box, and it was an easy finish for Gabriel Jesus. I think there was too much space for Riyad Mahrez on that left-hand side. It was a tactical masterclass from Pep because he got... De Bruyne and Mares into a position where it was very difficult to mark both of them. So one of them always seemed to be free. And that was really, I, I, I think it was a feather in the cap of Pep Guardiola. Mm. He was very, very happy afterwards. And he's never very, very happy. But he came bounding into the little interview room, big smile on his face. <laughs> I said to him, I sense that you're quite proud of your team's performance today. And he went, oh, yes, 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 yes. I mean, he did walk off after about two and a half minutes, but that's <laughs> but neither here nor there. Two and a half minutes with him is actually quite a summer achievement I've got to admit. Sam do you think he learnt as well something from what happened against Manchester United on that defending side on the fact of their counter attacks well, in that first 25-30 minutes? I just, I just think Manchester United were better at it than Leicester were um, and I think that um, they were actually better that they made less mistakes at the back 
than Leicester mm. did. Leicester made a lot of mistakes at the back and they can't afford to do that against Liverpool either. I do actually think that, I agree with you, I think this will be a draw, this game. And the reason I think it will be a draw is because I think ultimately Liverpool aren't going to go through the whole season not winning every single mm. game. Uh, Leicester are probably the type of team that uh, look back on that performance against Manchester City and, and, and be fired up and be thinking to themselves, we've got to make our mark here. Mm. And in order to do uh, to give themselves any sort of semblance of a chance of making the title race interesting, they need to win here. I don't think they'll do that, but I do think they'll get something from the game. I can't get over that Antonio Conte side in my mind thinking about this, this Liverpool side because of the great lead they have at this point. The only team to lead by as many as 10 points on Christmas Day and not win the title was Newcastle back in 95, the infamous Keegan blow-up and all that. Um, and what that Conte side did so impressively was get the league one and then realise, right, if we don't lose four times in the ensuing 19 games, we are champions. And I just wonder, because every Liverpool game this season has been so tight, it's been so tense, it's been so engaging to watch, even if the quality of football hasn't quite been there. I wonder if there will be a point now-ish where there'll be a, where there'll be a change of mentality. There'll be a change of, well, let's not push the fullback so far forward. Let's play that Champions League midfield, which is a lot more holding when it's Vinaldum, Henderson and Milner and, and not see the more attacking talents in there. I wonder when that might be. And, and maybe in this game is a, is, a, is a good place to start it. One of the big problems they've had, though, is that Fabinho has been injured and he was a key, key part of that midfield, especially earlier in the season. So without him, they've rotated that position amongst Milner, Henderson, Keita, Vinaldum, tried to double pivot at certain times as well. And it hasn't necessarily given them the same level of control that they have when they've got Fabinho in there. Well, he won't be available on uh, Boxing Day evening. Um, but Liverpool are unbeaten in five straight league games with Leicester. If they extend that, then 2020 is going to be very red indeed. I think to set targets at the moment is not what I would like to do. I would like to take it uh, day by day. We have a lot of things to do. What is clear is the ambition of this football club are very clear. You have to be in Europe, you have to fight for trophies, and the rest is not good enough. It's as simple as this. But now to talk about this is a little bit far. I would like to talk about what we're going to be doing tomorrow in the game, going on the game, leave the moral of the team, and then Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, go to Bournemouth and start doing it again. Ah, Mikel Arteta's first game in charge of Arsenal is away at Bournemouth, bearing in mind that they kept a clean sheet away from home in his first game, in which he had just a, 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 at least a passing interest, even if he wasn't officially the manager. Can we expect him to park the bus at Bournemouth? After all, the Cherries, Paul, I mean, they only beat the big ones, don't they? And then their last two victories have come against Chelsea and Manchester United. Well, I'm sure then they're, they're going to lift themselves to the game at home, and you have to lift yourself when you play in Arsenal because you've got to believe you're going to win a game of football. Maybe the one bonus is that we won't get a bad a game as the last game because <laughs> that was that was there was nothing good about it. Well, they saved the worst oh, game of 2019 awful. until the penultimate week, didn't they? Yeah, hideous oh, game of football. It was terrible. And then they're sitting there with the people waiting to come in. I wonder if they had a get-out clause. They couldn't have done, could they? Because because they're still there for the upcoming. But game. Arteta can say things can only get better, right? This is great for him. You want the first game when you're in the stands to be awful because everything else from that point will be better. It simply couldn't be worse, could it? It was it was dire. The only thing he got out of it is that he saw a few young players play. That's what he's got out of it. He's got to make big decisions on what's you know about his defence. When if when they're fit, he's got to pick the right ones. His midfield, 
he's got to turn that midfield into something that can produce saying it's certainly them and, them and Manchester United must have the two worst midfields in the Premier League totally industrious with no creativity or improvisation and then you look you look up front and you think to yourself hold a minute I've got a centre forward who doesn't want to be here anymore and I've got one sitting on the bench that doesn't want to be here anymore because he just comes off the bench he's gone into a nightmare hasn't he yeah um, it's their worst performance, I think, in the league at this stage since 1983. And December 1983, do you know what was in the charts? What music we were listening to in Shawadi December 1983? No. No. 83, is uh, that too Thompson late? Twins, Hold Me is. Now, Slade, My Oh My, oh, yeah. Love of the Common People by Paul Young, um, The Flying Pickets, Only You. You remember that one. I know that was Slade. Like an acapella song, wasn't it? I know Slade. I believe in woman, my oh my. That one, but I don't know the others. Yeah, it wasn't that one. No. Oh. Shaking Stevens, cry just a little bit. Well, certainly Arsenal fans have been crying more than just a little bit. They've only won one of the last 13 games. Um, you mentioned um, that um, Mikel Arteta saw maybe one or two things that he, he would have liked from that game, but only that because it was the dullest game of the entire season. Uh, I was listening to Nigel Adderley and Trevor Sinclair, and I actually thought, how are they going to get to the end of this game? Um, the first thing he's got to sort out, though, is the defence, isn't it? I mean, OK, they kept a clean sheet at Everton, but it is the defence. That's priority number one for Mikel Arteta. What is priority number Number two. Midfield, without a doubt. They've got no creativity. They're just workhorses. In that, Within that little bit there of number two is getting Ozil out. Mm. That's the big thing. He isn't going to work. He's not going to want... He's not going to change his game. And the thing about it, he's worked Arteta with fabulous midfield players at Manchester City. We asked the question, well, you know, what, 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 why did Mikel Arteta get the Arsenal job? He's never coached a, a team before professionally as a, as a frontline manager. Um, he's, he's still in his 30s. He's a young guy. This is a huge football club, which is supposed to be one of the most successful in British football. Yet they've gone for someone who is untried and untested just because he happened to play for them a little bit uh, a few years ago. But ultimately, maybe the question we should be asking is, is, did anyone actually want the Arsenal job? Yeah. Because it is so big. There is so much to do. There are so many challenges. It's going to be difficult for anyone to succeed at it. And I wonder whether or not that may, may well be actually the overarching question when we come back to it in six months' time and they've had a, and have a terrible end to the season. Look, I wish him all the best. Mm. He's a nice guy. I hope it works out for him. I think it's very, very difficult. Tom, you mentioned in the reports you did for us last week that Eddie Howe was under pressure for the first time. Uh, they're the opponents for Arsenal on Boxing Day. Do you really believe that? Absolutely, I do. I think he's under pressure for his, his own personal career. We know that he... Feels, having heard Alex Crook on this programme, he feels that he is coming towards the end of his time at Bournemouth and might be looking for what he can do next, if anywhere, if there is to be nowhere, he'll sign the new contract come the end of this season and be Bournemouth manager for 25, 30 years. I'm watching a Bournemouth side right now and they are listing. They're very much like Arsenal in a lot of ways. They've got an identity which is not being imprinted out on the field. Just two shots on target in 273 minutes of football. Um... If we want to talk about worst games of 2019, uh, Everton Arsenal probably wins. Second to that, probably Bournemouth Burnley, which took place on the same day. It was an atrocious game of football. Bournemouth at home couldn't get their their free wheeling, free attacking way of playing going. Defensively, they look like they are in sh they're in desperate need of reinforcements. Akl Francis, not the player he was a few years ago, and that's the same with a few players in there. Um, I think they're due a regeneration. 
Does he want to do that regeneration? I have my doubts about it. I'm not sure they would ever get rid of him, but I wonder where they go next as a club if he remains there for another two years looking... Not disinterested, but I think he feels like, and I'm sure many people out there can, can can sympathise with this, where do I go next with my career? And in front of him, there's a blank space. Last year, between November the 3rd and January the 13th, they won two of 14 matches. The year before, between the 25th of November and the 20th of January, they won two of 15 matches. And the year before, between October and March, they won four of 20. They've won two of the last 13. The only difference really is the dip started just a little bit yeah. early. But they always go through this sort of period every single year. Yeah. So maybe, Paul, we, we shouldn't be surprised that they've had such a difficult time. No, but still somewhere along the line, I think the newer fans of Bournemouth are wanting to see more. I really do think they want to see a little bit more. They want to see, well, more wins. They still want to see maybe bigger players coming down. They, people want more, and I think Bournemouth want more. The new stadium has fallen through now, so they're still in their little small one. The, the club needs needs something. It needs an oomph. It needs something to, to get going again. They've got a, an owner with a lot of money. <laughs> It, it, they're not they're not getting full value no. for it, to be perfectly honest. I think to build on your point, Sam, you're absolutely right. Statistically, this is nothing new for Bournemouth. They're a streaky side. They always have been. They win a lot of games. They lose a lot of games. I think what's different is, yeah. away from the stats of watching them every week, and I've watched every one of their games this season, there is a listless to them. There is a lack of direction to them. I'm not sure how Bournemouth play now. I think last year we could have had a conversation about what they do. Strong on the counter-attack, the strength of Callum Wilson, playing through Ryan Fraser. These were all clear elements of but, what they did. This year it's not but, there. But it is a side in transition because they've had to turn the squad over. They need to make it a little bit younger. So it is a squad that is going through a bit of a shift already, yeah. which is why they spent a lot of money on younger players this season. Maybe some of them haven't settled as well as maybe Eddie hoped, but ultimately they know that they need to in, in, in change the outlook. They've tried to be a little bit more defensive in some games as well, and they've kept a lot more clean sheets than yeah. they have done previously. Um, I was at the Manchester United game, and they were absolutely fantastic defensively in that. But then again, you look at Manchester United during that period, and subsequently against other teams they're expected to be, and you think maybe it wasn't that big an achievement at all. Uh, talking of which, coming up, no jolly ollie Christmas for United, but first, here's Crookie the Christmas Wookie with his take on Aston Villa against Norwich. <laughs> Two of the bottom three meet at Carrow Road and it's looking ominous for both Norwich and Aston Villa as they bid to avoid an immediate return to the championship. It was always going to be a struggle for the home side after spending a paltry £1 million in the summer. In Todd Campwell and Tiemu Puki, Norwich have two players who would appear to have a future in the top flight with or without the Norfolk club. But it's the lack of quality throughout the rest of the squad that has been Daniel Farker's undoing. Unlike their host, Villa were not shy in splashing the cash, but with only three points separating the two teams, manager Dean Smith must be hoping he kept the receipts for some of those big money purchases. Losing key midfielder John McGinn to injury in the defeat to Southampton will have done little to lift Smith's mood. Jack Grealish has three goals in his last five games and will once again need to be on song if Villa are to silence those canaries. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. 
So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. The Euro's All Access podcast is proudly sponsored by Vauxhall. I just wanted to take a moment to make sure that all of our listeners are aware of the new Vauxhall Combo Electric. The Combo Electric is Vauxhall's new compact van that is made right here in Britain at their Ellesmere Port plant. Not only does the new van look fantastic and with a striking redesign, but by manufacturing the Combo Electric locally, Vauxhall is helping to support the British workforce. Local manufacturing also reduces the cost of going electric, making the transition accessible for more businesses. With an electric range of up to 205 miles on a single charge and one year's free public charging included, the new Combo Electric is ready to take on whatever you throw at it. Head online today and see for yourself. Search Vauxhall Electric Vans and prepare to lead the charge. Vauxhall's best-selling electric van range, energising a better Britain. Terms and conditions apply. Manchester United were ponderous and powerless at Vicarage Road and Newcastle in the last eight games have beaten Palace Saints. Sheffield United, drawn with Manchester City, beat Bournemouth and West Ham. And they have already beaten United once this season. Um, Steve Bruce needs a bit more credit, doesn't he? Newcastle have done brilliantly recently. Definitely. People aren't talking about him, which is always good for him and Newcastle, but... He's done fantastic, considering that everything was against him. Everyone thinking he's walked, he's walked, you know, walked into a frying pan. He's put himself under pressure. He was getting grief from the fans as well, obviously for managing Sunderland. But he went to Newcastle. I mean, I mean, I, mean, I know he looks like he's walked into a frying pan, but that's got something to do with his nose being broken about four times during his career. <laughs> you mean, you mean, you mean? Did you get that one from a cracker? Was that in fire. your cracker at your end? Was it? <laughs> it was one. It was one of those rugby boys crackers. <laughs> But it's true, isn't it? He's done, he's, done, he's done fantastically well and he's got them organised. He has, and he, he mostly can't believe it. He's going to Old Trafford and he's looking at doing a double over Manchester United. And mostly believes that he can go and do it because he'll go and play a system, play a formation, everything. His game plan will be the same as what's happened to Manchester United other than when they play the big boys. And that is to sit deep and allow Manchester United yeah. to have the ball. As simple and as that. What Steve's done... Is brilliantly succeeded in making them a team that are relatively unnewsworthy. Um, that can't be said about uh, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, who is going to come under scrutiny now because it's, as everyone knows, they can't do anything else than counter-attack. There's no plan B. This was the problem in the in the first game. United had 68% possession in that match. How do they get a result here, Tom? Because unless they change and, and start to get better at beating teams that sit very deep, then they're never going to get the points that they need to get themselves into the, the Champions League places, which is their aim this season. I think we have come to the point where we need to start thinking about Manchester United differently. We have thought about them for so long as one of the giants of the game, top four side, all that sort of stuff. You look at their record right now. Below them, they can't beat anybody. Above them, they get really good results. They are what a lot of mid-table teams hope to be, what Newcastle hope to be, that is a really good upper mid-table side. This is what they are. 
It's the caliber of players they have. Uh, and the goalkeeper, of course, is is only a mid-table goalkeeper these days. He's not the elite care, goalkeeper care, he once care, was. Careful, Paul Parker's going to make you get a Steve Bruce nose if you're not careful. <laughs> I wouldn't be that bad. He, he's a realist, Parker. He uh, knows. He yeah. knows that I speak truth to power here. That's what's going on. They're you're, an upper you're, mid-table you're team. You're right about David De Gea, though, aren't you? I mean, he's cost them seriously over the course of the last couple of games. I mean, the Everton mistake, I maintain, was terrible. And I thought it was, I mean, inexplicable what happened at Watford at the weekend. But the biggest problem for me was the, I mean, he's called it testimonial pace, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. But the lack of endeavour, desire. Not everything can hang on the shoulders of Marcus Rashford. Or not, not everything can be expected to be generated by Paul Pogba coming back one day and he'll save us. It'll be all right, folks. You can't operate like that, can you? No, I mean, and that's the problem that he's got. He, he really, in my opinion, needs the opportunity if they're going to do it to get a couple of get players in in January and again in the summer when the summer windows open because yeah. his free signings he have made have been the three positive things that man three positive players that Manchester United have had all season. His signings have been good. They've come through for him and they've shown everything you just. Everything you just mentioned there, Sam. So he needs an opportunity to go and do it again. Can I just stop that for a second? Because when it comes to transfers, right, when they don't get... When, they, when players come in and are bad, we always say Ed Woodward don't know what he's doing, like he's useless at his job. But when these players come good, we say, oh, well done, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. What a great job you've done. Daniel James is a great signing. It's slightly different because this summer in particular, it w- it, it is it is expected because of the review that Manchester United have done that the signings that have been made have been made in coordination with the manager who is there. A lot of the signings that were made in the early part of the Jose Mm. Mourinho uh, reign were also to do with him. It was only latterly that the club started to diverge from his plan in terms of recruitment. And I think that's where the criticism came. You're right about about James, about Maguire have done very, very well uh, for him. And I've said it before, he inherited a terrible, terrible squad, like a really bad squad. So he had to turn almost the whole thing round. He's not going to do that in one window or two window. It's going to take three windows for him to be able to do that. If we get to the end this time next year and they're still playing like this, then I think we can legitimately say he hasn't done a very good job because he would have had three windows to bring in maybe nine, ten players during that period, in which case they're certainly his team. Um, how long before the pressure starts to increase on him, do you think, Paul? I would say over this Christmas period, I think, because they've got a difficult game, that Newcastle game. I really think if, if any... Because the fans are quite patient, aren't they? they yeah, there's, the majority are, yes, but there's people out there waiting to snipe. It's Manchester United. I think if it's a lush, um, lush performance and it's an underwhelming game and they don't get... Lackluster. Yep. Yeah, Put the champagne down. <laughs> it's the strong stuff. It's the rugby boys' champagne, so you I, know it's good. I think yeah. if they don't go and get a win against Newcastle, there'll be questions throwing up again. Because you can't live off beating okay. the big boys. Okay, thank you very much. We should be thankful at this time of year, not only for the rugby boys leaving the Prosecco behind, but, uh, and we certainly are thankful for that, uh, we are thankful for Miguel Almiron's goal as well. Finally, he has one. Uh, Tottenham would be thankful for a result this Christmas too, I think. Fantastic finish from Willian. And in this box office battle of a London derby, it's Chelsea who land the first blow. And in the battle of the benches, it's Lampard who lands the first blow to the chin of Mourinho. Two very bad goals to concede. Uh, so one short corner is, is bad, and especially bad when you are so organised in, in relation to that. So we knew what to do and we didn't. 
Well, Sleepy Spurs need to wake up early on Boxing Day because they are now six points outside of the Champions League places and behind Wolves and Sheffield United in the table. And let's be honest, they weren't very good against Chelsea. Uh, what do they have to do differently against Brighton, Paul Parker? Um, maybe get players maybe in the right mindset, in the right positions. Because I think against Chelsea, Mourinho was more concerned about Chelsea than what he was his own team. He never allowed Spurs to play as Spurs. He was, he did it at Manchester United when he was managing there. He did it against Chelsea. He did it against big sides as well. He concerns himself with them. It's, I'm not going to get beat scenario. And that's, as he found at Manchester United, didn't really work that way. And I think he's found out at Tottenham now because he took all the good bits away from them. Uh, Deli Alley's gone quiet again. Um, has the initial bounce gone flat? Now, the real problems that Spurs have got actually been exposed, or is, as Paul said, actually the best bits have been taken out of Tottenham by Jose Mourinho? Yeah, I think all semblance of Pochettino in just a month has been withdrawn from Tottenham Hotspur, and now they are fully becoming a modern-type Mourinho side. Paul's absolutely right. I think all they cared about was stopping Chelsea. Uh, at the game on Sunday and didn't think about their own game plan. Where exactly was Deli Ali playing? I have absolutely no idea. He was sort of left, sort of 10, floating around. Um, I wonder if Eric Dyer will get more than 45 minutes, if anything, this weekend. I, I don't know where he's playing or why he's playing right now. Something's obviously wrong with Eric Dyer in that role. We know he's had fitness issues and, and health issues and all sorts in recent times, but he seems like a man that needs to get taken out the fire. Um, for this game, they're playing against a side that love possession in Brighton. Brighton love to keep the ball. They're fantastic at keeping the ball. I'm surprised at how poor their record has been actually recently because I've watched them and thought they were very impressive. But I think it's like five points from a possible 21 available. And so um, mm. they need something from it. I think Brighton will attack. And I think Tottenham, it's Mourinho. They are going to be cautious. They're going to try and stop Brighton. Well, but actually, what, what has been probably helping their results is when they haven't had possession and they've allowed the other team to have it and then they've they've nicked goals on the counter-attack. They did that against in the last few minutes against Wolverhampton Wanderers uh, when they got all three points the other week. You mentioned that Brighton have only won one of the last seven, but that was against Arsenal. Um, they have also played during that run, United, Leicester, Liverpool, Wolves and their rivals, Crystal Palace, in that time. So they're understandable results, aren't they, rather than the start of a of a tumble, you would expect, Paul? Yeah, I mean, the difference is, is that Brighton are a completely different entity to what they were in previous seasons. I saw the game last season mm. at White Hart Lane. Oh, the Ericsson 90th minute yeah. goal in a dreadful, dreadful was, game. Yeah, Brighton yeah. just tried yeah. to stay on. I was on. there, I commented yeah. on that game. It was the most uh, one-sided match I think it, I see all season. It, it was mm. awful. I mean, the centre-halves never come out of the six-yard box. They was happy to be there. Now they're not that team anymore. They get hold of the ball. Potter's got them playing some lovely football. Everyone's enjoying it. Mourinho will, but, but allow- it comes with pits. It comes with pitfalls, doesn't it? Because they haven't kept a clean sheet for a very long time. In fact, I think they've only kept one clean sheet since they kept a clean sheet in this reverse fixture in October. Yeah, and a lot of it comes from their own mistake of trying to play out from the back. They've been caught out quite a few times, and he's trying to get players who really not up to the job. But he's saying to them. I don't care, you're going to make mistakes. And he wants them to do it, which is, I think, good in certain ways. Brighton fans are mostly happy. They're seeing better football. They're getting a little bit more out of it than what they were over previous seasons. But the thing about it is that Mourinho done this at Manchester United and he allows teams to have the ball. The difference is that United couldn't do anything about it. Spurs have the players. The problem is, how long are they, these players going to want to play in this I, fashion? I'm, I, 
I'm slightly worried about you two because you've been quite miserable about pretty much everyone today. You, you won't even celebrate the achievements of the world champions. You're now looking at Mourinho. He's lost two games since he's come back into the Premier League with Tottenham against Manchester United and against Chelsea. I mean, big matches, yes, but they're the only two Premier League matches that he's lost since he's been here. And, and you're saying that he, he's, he's, he's filleting Tottenham. He's ruining them. Just remember where they were when he took over. They were 14th. I mean, they, they could have gone fourth on Sunday. If they're going to die, they better do it and decrease the surplus population. That's very much the mood I'm in. The table means nothing. The table right now means nothing. Aston Villa in the relegation zone 15th, 10 points above them, Newcastle in 9th. Anything can change in the space of two or three weeks. That's why the Christmas period is so good. Tottenham being in 14th, I'm, I'm not sure there was any real doubt that Tottenham weren't going to go up the table. They'll finish in the top eight, maybe top six. That's about where Spurs are as a club. So I don't yeah, but the see question that. is, is he has improved them, hasn't where? he? Where? Where has he improved them? Uh, did you watch the Chelsea game? There was well, no they've, element they've won, of improvement. They've won games. They've won matches. Yes, they lost against Chelsea. They yes, they lost against Manchester Wanderers. United. They were chaotic in previous games before that. I'm not too sure where the improvements are. I'm not too sure there's anything any manager can do to fundamentally change DNA in that time. I think the only thing we've seen in Mourinho is his setup against Chelsea, and it was his setup against Chelsea which cost him the game. Pumping the ball forward long down the channels in the hope that Deli Alley might be goal side of the fullback is vintage Mourinho. It's vintage 2006 Mourinho, and he ain't got those players. They've won two games in eight before he turned up. They've won five games in eight since he's turned up. I mean, the improvement is he's getting more points. Whether or not you can fundamentally change the outlook of that squad is a different debate, isn't it? Because ultimately, we all know that there's a lot of disinterested parties in that squad that have got their eyes on moves elsewhere. The one thing he has done is secure Toby Alderweireld for a longer-term future. I mean, somehow his, uh, his desperation to get away from North London has been erased within five weeks of Mourinho's reign. Let me just say, I don't think it's anything to do with the fact of Mourinho. It's a fact of more about Pochettino going. Mm. I think anyone could have come in now and he would have signed that contract. I think that's the bit that's obvious, Sam, on that one. I don't think it's... And the cash, signed... mate. And the cash. Yeah. Like they, Daniel Levy in the last <laughs> month or so has gone, oh, you know that wage structure we used to, we used to do? Yeah, forget about that. Here's 150 grand a week and here's Jose Mourinho they've thrown that all out the window it'd have been better for them to keep the money for Pochettino than waste it on Mourinho or buy a bunch of Freds and Pogba's oh dear it's like the last days of Gordon Brown when the next person comes in to take over from Daniel Levy, there's going to be a, like 10 years of austerity at Tottenham. It's going to be a nightmare. Um, just quickly on, on Brighton. Um, obviously, we've mentioned that they don't keep as many clean sheets, but they don't really score enough goals for me either. If there's anyone that Tottenham should be wary of, who, who is it? Um, well, Mopé's been fantastic, hasn't he? he? He is such an instinctive finisher. He reminds me a lot of Danny Ings, actually. I see a lot of similarities in those two players. They yes. can create a chance from nowhere. They strike the football on the turn. He's a very, very good centre-forward. And if you've got a centre-forward who scores 15 goals, Paul, you're, you're likely to stay in the Premier League. History tells us that. And, and he can score that many goals. He can do. And I saw him play at um, Brentford, and he was very, very good at Brentford. I think injury could tell the, the back end of his time at Brentford, but he was always a constant threat when I saw him. Uh, seven goals this season so far in 18 appearances for Neil Mopar. That's a pretty good return on the investment of £20 million plus that they spent on him. In the summer. Right, uh, a London derby at Selhurst Park. Here's Alex Crook. While the rest of the Premier League toiled away over the weekend, West Ham's players will have had their feet up at home with a mince pie, a glass of sherry, watching their favourite Christmas movies. 
Manuel Pellegrini seems to have been auditioning for the role of the Grinch all season, but the Hammers' crucial win at Southampton ensured this was not to be his last Christmas at London Stadium. Pellegrini will be hoping the extra few days rest courtesy of scheduled opponents Liverpool's involvement in the Club World Cup will give his team the edge, but if West Ham lose this London derby, it will be the veteran Chilean left feeling home alone once more. Palace have been Scrooge-like when it comes to scoring goals after failing to find the net in eight of their 18 Premier League matches. Only bottom club Watford are more profligate, which must be a worry for Roy Hodgson. This match also pits the two oldest managers in the division, but will it be Pellegrini or Hodgson who come out on top? Right, the Christmas chorister is obviously otherwise engaged. Um, so a big hello to Dream Team's Sean Cook. Hello. Hello, mate. How are you? Merry Christmas to you. Greetings of the season. Did you get yourself a Jose jumper or a Mourinho mug? <laughs> I'm yet to invest. Yet to invest. But uh, yeah, no, we, we shall yeah. soon see. Did you have a good Sunday? Did you, did you enjoy yourself? Uh, it was quite quiet. In that yeah, no, no, didn't didn't get up to much, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah, pretty quiet in the end. How about you? Uh, Sean, Sean is the alter ego of at Talking THFC, as well as his work for Dream Team. He's he's a big Tottenham Hotspur fan, um, and I, I just wonder whether or not these guys have been denigrating Jose Mourinho, basically saying that he's filleted every ounce of Pochettino out of the football club. I, I, because I remember the first day that he was appointed, you, you, you were wiping the little tear from your eye that Pochettino had gone, but at the same time celebrating the arrival of what you called a top-level manager. Uh, that's the thing, yeah. I mean, we didn't have a lot of time to get over it, did we? We had 12 hours between uh, Pochettino going and, and Mourinho coming in, so we didn't have a lot of time to, uh, to, to you know, shed a tear over it, but... As I said at the time, it's, uh, it's the first elite appointment we've ever made. Um, you know, <laughs> and, Sorry, uh, I thought it was 2005 for a second there. What were you saying? <laughs> Have I got hair again? But, but there you go. It's the, it's the um, time will tell. Time will tell. Wonderful side pine back in yes. 2005 when Mourinho was good. He yeah. had black hair last time he was elite. Uh, um, OK, let's move on to the Dream Team section of the programme because, uh, of course, that is what you are here for. Everton-Burnley, one of the games we're looking at. Carlo Ancelotti starting life at Goodison. It's one of the games that is available via the TalkSport app uh, as part of our 10 games of Christmas. What you got for me? So, yeah, a tricky one. Uh, Ancelotti's first game in charge of Everton. Uh, he's not going to be able to count on Iwobi, of course. Picked up the hamstring against uh, his former club, Arsenal, at the weekend. Uh, he's actually actually the sixth highest scorer on the game for Everton this season, uh, mm-hmm. which admittedly isn't saying much, but the 0.6% of managers who've stayed loyal to him will, uh, will miss him this week. Um, that will likely see Bernard come into the side. I mean, he's not had a great season, uh, particularly on Dream Team, just 21 points so far. Uh, and to put that into comparison, that's the same amount of points that Declan Rice has got as a defensive midfielder. So before whacking in Bernard as your Awobi replacement, maybe look elsewhere. Uh, but Burnley, I mean, their second consecutive 1-0 win uh, at the weekend. Um, hold on, hold on. Sorry. You basically said don't pick any Everton players. Is that the tip? <laughs> pick nobody. <laughs> They're all rubbish. It, it, is there, is there not any case to make that, he, that maybe Carlo Ancelotti will get more out of his fellow Italian Moyes Keane than maybe Duncan Ferguson uh, did? I mean, I mean, but for a start, as he might 
not put him on and then take him off after about 15 minutes which would probably help <laughs> I mean if he was in form potentially he would have dropped in um, obviously you've got to look at their, their star men this season Richarlison um, 88 points their high scorer uh, Lucas Digne as well 71 uh, Calvert-Lewin 58 points so they have got some scorers there but I wouldn't be looking at Everton players for this one I would be uh, focusing on Burnley as I say another clean sheet of the weekend uh, and Tarkowski has been just such a revelation for them this year uh, he is their highest point scorer, 59 points. Uh, I brought him into my side uh, two weeks ago. It's not sky high. Two back-to-back 13-point back weeks, though, which oh, is, okay. is nothing to be sniffed That's at. Um, so I would be looking at the Burnley side of things. Obviously, Chris Wood there as well. Um, <coughs> Sean Dyche is obviously going to have to make one change. Henrik, Hendrik is uh, ruled out. Um, Aaron Lennon is going to come in most likely for him. Uh, I God would avoid him. Aaron Lennon, who's on minus two Dream Team points for this season. Paul's face suggests he wasn't sure Aaron Lennon was still playing in the That's, Premier League. I'm really shocked. I'm, yeah. Honestly, I'm really shocked to hear two of that name mentioned. <laughs> he uh, he came on against uh, against Spurs last week in the uh, the five nil defeat um, to an amazing uh, response from the Spurs fans. Of course, he's uh, he's a very popular boy around there. But uh, minus two Dream Team points is is really really shocking. Um, I mean, the other possible change there could be Rodriguez um, coming in, maybe being rewarded for his winner at the weekend at the expense of Barnes. Uh, he has bagged more points than similar strikers at mid-table clubs. Benteke, uh, McBurney at Sheffield United, St. Maximan at Newcastle. He's only £1.8 million on the game, Rodriguez. Mm. So uh, if you're looking for that cheap option in a congested fixture schedule, maybe the man for you. Okay, uh, Champions League Chelsea take on uh, the Saints. Um, Southampton have got Danny Ings, who's scored 10 Premier League goals this season. They'll have to be wary of him. A rare clean sheet for Frank <laughs> Lampard's team, though, on Sunday against Jose Mourinho's Tottenham Hotspur. Uh, but they'll have to rotate, won't they, Chelsea? Yeah, I think so. Um, you know, we saw Frank Lampard uh, switch to that three at the back um, at the weekend. Uh, Zuma, Tamori and uh, Rudiger. Um, I mean, they've they've done okay this season. Ninety five points between the pair, of, the three of them, sorry, on Dream Team, um, which would have come what you know a bit of a surprise at the start of the season. I don't think we would have seen them keeping as many clean sheets as they have. Um, but they're obviously going to have to bring in someone for Aspilicueta, uh, who picked up that knock. Most likely, Reese James, uh, who is, has been somewhat of a revelation yeah. himself. Uh, Fifty Dream Team points uh, already. He's in my team. He is uh, more than more than Serge Aurier, uh, which it pains me to say. Um, <laughs> that's not difficult, is it? Let's be honest. <laughs> but but uh, he, he is quite a low risk option, as I say. He doesn't always start. Normally, unlike comes Serge Aurier. On. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, doesn't doesn't always start, which means um, he often comes on when when they're ahead and, and they've got the clean sheet in the bag, which means he racks up the points. So uh, a little uh, little secret uh, swap there for you if you if you fancy Reese James. Jorginho uh, Hudson. Doy, Pulisic all didn't start against Spurs in a terrific uh, display. Um, so you would expect that those two could end up coming into the, the starting eleven, Hudson Odoi and, and, and Pulisic, if indeed uh, he needs to change them. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, Pulisic um, has, has been a, a real surprise um, it, after you know he start to the season. He's already bagged ninety points, um, which is more than the likes of Mason Mount. Um, so a fantastic start for him, and, and he's been rewarded fourteen point six percent of managers have gone for him. Uh, Hudson Odoi, as you say as well, um, not as popular an option, but zero point six percent of managers have gone for him. Uh, Twenty nine points already. So there are points in this Chelsea side, as you say. 
Southampton's main threat being uh, Danny Ings, uh, 11 goals already. Is there a secondary threat for Southampton? Is there a second player you can mention that might I mean, get some points? The, uh, I mean, the second no. highest scorer is Ward-Prowse, who's 50 points behind yeah. Danny Ings. So uh, I think Danny Ings is, is obviously the obvious choice there. He's now got 106 points, which is more than Aguero, Firmino, Abemiang. Uh, so what a surprise Danny Ings has been. I've been trying to poach him uh, from one of my colleagues on Dream Team Draft. He's not having it just yet, but I will get my hands on Danny Ings. OK, Southampton have lost eight of their last nine meetings with Chelsea. Sheffield United have won three on the bounce. Uh, now they take on the bottom side in the Premier League. Here's Alex Crook. Santa Claus only delivers presents for good boys and girls, or so the myth goes. Chris Wilder must have been seriously well behaved this year, as even Santa himself could not have delivered a more perfect 2019 for the men from the Steel City. Promoted back to the Premier League after an absence of almost two decades, the Blades have made light work of the step up from the Championship, and with Tottenham and Manchester United struggling for consistency, it's them who have emerged as the nearest challengers for a place in the top four. Watford boss Nigel Pearson was quick to point out the enormity of the task facing his basement dwellers, even in the afterglow of their potentially season-changing win over United. Despite that impressive performance, Pearson still has it all to do to mastermind the greatest of relegation escapes. No team in Premier League history have had as fewer points as Watford 17 games in and survived. A win at Bramall Lane, though, would be another significant step towards Pearson and his golden boys rewriting history. Wolverhampton Wanderers meet Manchester City on Friday night. They were second best against Norwich, I thought, for, for much of the game. Wolverhampton Wanderers on Saturday. Um, only a late splurge in the second half saved them, really. Uh, now they face City, who were, I thought, absolutely imperious at the weekend. And Pep Guardiola did too. His little smiley, cheruby face. Um, there's been some caucus between these two over the course of the last few uh, seasons. Will the extra day's rest mean that uh, this one li- lives up to that sort of billing, do you think? I don't think so, in that sense. I mean, it's going to be a good game. I don't think the rest... Oh, great. I, think the re- I don't think the rest bit comes into it. I just think this game is two coaches who, who love the football they play, got a team who's played 100 games already. People are waiting for them to fall flat in their faces, but they're showing everybody, no, we're fit, we're strong, and we've got a desire to win every game we play. They've been fantastic, Wolves. And it's going to be a really, really hard game for Man City. Great the weekends, as you saw and you've mentioned as well. But this game is going to be a really tough game for them. Um, it is the final match of our 10 games of Christmas. It's live on TalkSport uh, at uh, 7.45 on Friday night, live across the world on Premier League Live. Um, Wolves beat them earlier in the season by sitting and hitting on the break with two Adama Traore goals late on. Do you think they'll pose a similar sort of threat, Tom? I love Adama Traore. I think he's always going to be a threat. Um, I was reading that he is amongst the top five most foul players in the Premier League this season. Uh, Jack Grealish, 73, is top of that list. Traore, uh, 42 times he's been fouled this season, so fourth of the top five. My question would be, how is anyone fouling Adama Traore? Like, how is it possible to stop this man? He... Someone dis- dislocated his shoulder the other week. He <laughs> just pops it straight back in like Mel Gibson and cracks back on to get the drug dealers, you know, classic. He's, a, he's, oh, a, he's an amazing footballer, an amazing physique. And what he's done this year, and he did it at City with these, with these late goals there, and they're great at the breakaway at uh, Wolverhampton Wanderers, and they'll need to be in a game like this again. 
is that he's added the composure. Earlier when we talked about Kevin De Bruyne and we talked about uh, Mikel Antonio, similar sort of players when it comes to power running. When Antonio gets towards the end line, he tends to fall over, he's out of breath, he looks knackered. And that was Adama Traore until this season. You watch him now when he gets there, he stops. He takes a breath, yeah. he looks up, he finds the right pass or the right shot. He hadn't scored for, was it, 67, 68 games he, until he scored against City. His end product has got much better and it was something that they were talking about on uh, Match of the Day with Michael Richards. He was discussing, even at Aston Villa in the brief time that he was with him there, You know, the, the, they said oh, what we used to do in training was we used to show him outside because he couldn't get across him. But over time, he learnt very quickly to get better at doing that. And he has developed. And Nuno Espirito Santo has done very well uh, to produce what is now huh, a lethal weapon. Um, so what, what Come do you, on, what, that was what, good. What, no, no, we've got on, to appreciate that. That was a great gag. Can I do, <laughs> so what we're... Sorry, just it. quickly to Sam. So He's we, getting too old for this. We're just Please. saying now, Wolves, Wolves coach, coaches have, made, have improved him. So what happened to the great Tony Poulis? Why didn't it work at Middlesbrough? Did he have enough time and patience to work with him? Because he was always on the bench, wasn't he? Um, <laughs> Aguero coming back at the right time, maybe, with the congested fixture list, do you think? Um, because um, Gabriel Jesus has done well, but he does well in a different way, doesn't he? He doesn't really contribute with a lot of goals. He, I know he got the hat-trick in the Champions League or whatever, but ultimately, I mean, he don't score very many, does he? I mean, he's just an arch-harasser. Yeah, I mean, it's just a shame, really, because you can imagine what he'd be worth and how everyone be talking about him. He could add goals to his work rate. He's great being a Pep Guardiola player he knits things together in that in and around that box he, mm. he can join in the play Aguero is not that kind of player Aguero's just got that big problem that he scores goals and whatever he does you don't see him for 90 minutes he goes and scores that yeah. goal in the 91st minute and we go great player great game That's however as Sam said in commentary on Saturday Jesus delivers at Christmas and he does finally score a goal um, uh, at the weekend just gone against Leicester the third and what's interesting was that Kevin De Bruyne was desperate to set him up there was one point where he threw on goal just blast it in and he tried to kind of reverse pass to Jesus so he could score he has now got that goal uh, of course he'd scored 10 goals away from home this season this was his first one at the Etihad Stadium and it just it can be those little moments where something goes your way something breaks your way it's why De Bruyne was so desperate to set him up because he's now got that goal that thing we're all talking about why can't he do it at home and that'll go into away games that'll go into their next games and I'm, I'm not sure Aguero will start in this game I think he'll stick with Gabriel so, so what Jesus. you're saying is is that despite the fact that he had what, a nine-month wait between goals at the Etihad. It's a good idea to keep faith with Jesus. Uh, Jesus. Jesus, sorry. Um, well, Aguero did score the last time that Manchester City won at Wolves. That was back in April 2012. Uh, it forms the final part of our festive fixture list on TalkSport this Friday night. Right, time for the commentator's curse. You know how it works by now. Players, we put the mockers on by giving a statistical reason as to why uh, they will do well in this round of festive matches. Uh, what you got for me, Tom? Um, I've got one on Harry Kane. Um, the Tottenham striker has scored seven goals in just four Premier League games on Boxing Day. In the history of the competition, going back to 1992 when football begins, only Robbie Fowler... Alan Shearer and Robbie Keane have scored more on the 26th of December than Harry Kane. And so, don't back Harry Kane on Boxing Day. 
interestingly, because he's only scored in one of the last five matches when he got that double. But apart from that, he's been... A, I don't know whether or not Tottenham have started to use him differently or haven't managed to get him as many chances. But even watching the game on Sunday, I mean, the very few opportunities he had, it was it was quite a surprise. Are you saying the Pochettino has been drawn out of him and he's gone full Mourinho? Is that what you're saying? I, I oh, wonder if no. someone else had said oh, that no. on the show. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking oh, I need to rewind it. again. <laughs> Come on, where's the other Mourinho hater? Go for it, Paul. In Premier League history, only Andy Cole, 11 goals, and Thierry Omri, 8 goals, have scored more Premier League goals against Liverpool than Leicester's Jamie Vardy, which is Ooh. seven. Is he going to start, yeah. though, Jamie Vardy? Because he did say he was yeah. going to get rested somewhere in the <laughs> yeah. Christmas period. That could throw up a conspiracy, couldn't it, if he doesn't play It would ruin everyone's it. dream team, wouldn't it, if Vardy's not playing? There's no charge you're going to rest him for a game like this. They'll rest him for the FA Cup tie, but they're not resting for a game like this, especially the, uh, the, uh, the way he's scoring at the moment. Now, last week, I did big up Jamie Vardy, actually. I, I bigged up the impact of Colleen Rooney on Jamie Vardy. Uh, and the way her intervention in Rebecca Vardy's social life actually turned Jamie Vardy's early season form on its head. Um, and at Christmas, it, it, it's all about family, isn't it? And so I thought I'd focus on the Deli Alley brothers, or the Alley brothers as they're known to their mum. Um, they seem to be taking it in three-game turns for Tottenham. After Delhi scored against Everton on the 3rd of November, Delhi's brother came in for three games. <laughs> And he played against Red Star, Sheffield United and West Ham before the real Delhi came back in after being recalled by Jose, scoring four goals in three games with Olympiacos, Bournemouth and Manchester United. Now, the other alley has just been back for three matches, culminating in defeat to Chelsea. So Boxing Day is when the real Delhi gets a recall again. I'm absolutely certain of it. And you know what that means? Ali will be on the score sheet again. Don't forget the 10 games of Christmas are on TalkSport, TalkSport 2 and the TalkSport app this festive period. Download it, register, go to the live game bits at the bottom and switch between them as easily as you swipe across on Tinder. Uh, what's more, it's all free. Hey, have these 10 games on us this Christmas. Thanks for listening to the pod at this very special time. Merry Christmas to you all. Game Day, Premier League Preview Show. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Before you go, I just wanted to remind you that the Vauxhall ELCV range is the best-selling electric van range from Vauxhall, which is driving innovation in 2024 with its modern facelifted design and improved electric technology. Now, I know that the transition to an electric vehicle can sometimes feel daunting, but rest assured that when you choose Vauxhall, you're in the safest of hands. The ELC V range is designed to be as accessible as a diesel van with an electric range of 261 miles and with one year's free public charging included, you will find it cheaper to run too. If you're already thinking of making the leap to an electric vehicle, then consider this your official sign. Go online and search Vauxhall Electric Vans today. Vauxhall's best-selling electric van range, energising a better Britain. Terms and conditions apply.